Chapter Fifteen of the Great Shadow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Great Shadow by Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter Fifteen: The End of It. And now I have very nearly come to the end of it all, and precious glad I shall be to find myself there, for I began this old memory with a light heart, thinking that it would give me some work for the long summer evenings. But as I went on, I wakened a thousand sleeping sorrows and half-forgotten griefs, and now my soul is all as raw as the hide of an ill-sheared sheep. If I come safely out of it, I will swear never to set pen to paper again, for it is so easy at first, like walking into a shelving stream, and then before you can look round, you are off your feet and down in a hole, and can struggle out as best you may. We buried Jim and Delisac with four hundred and thirty-one others of the French guards and our own light infantry in a single trench. Ah, if you could sow a brave man as you sow a seed, there should be a fine crop of heroes coming up there some day. Then we left that bloody battlefield behind us forever, and with our brigade we marched on over the French border on our way to Paris. I had always been brought up during all these years to look upon the French as very evil folk, and as we only heard of them in connection with fightings and slaughterings by land and by sea, it was natural enough to think that they were vicious by nature and ill to meet with. But then, after all, they had only heard of us in the same fashion, and so no doubt they had just the same idea of us. But when we came to go through their country and to see their bonny little steadings and the deuce quiet folk at work in the fields and the women knitting by the roadside and the old granny with the big white mutch smacking the baby to teach it manners, it was all so homelike that I could not think why it was that we had been hating and fearing these good people for so long. But I suppose that in truth it was really the man who was over them that we hated, and now that he was gone and his great shadow cleared from the land, all was brightness once more. We jogged along happily enough through the loveliest country that ever I set my eyes on until we came to the great city, where we thought that maybe there would be a battle, for there are so many folk in it that if only one in twenty comes out, it would make a fine army. But by that time they had seen that it was a pity to spoil the whole country just for the sake of one man, and so they had told him that he must shift for himself in the future. The next we heard was that he had surrendered to the British, and that the gates of Paris were opened to us, which was very good news to me, for I could get along very well just on the one battle that I had had. But there were plenty of folk in Paris now who loved Boney, and that was natural when you think of the glory that he had brought them, and how he had never asked his army to go where he would not go himself. They had stern enough faces for us, I can tell you, when we marched in, and we of Adam's brigade were the very first who set foot in the city. We passed over a bridge which they call Nuyi, which is easier to write than to say, and through a fine park, the Bois de Boulogne, and so into the Champs-Élysées. There we bivouacked, and pretty soon the streets were so full of Prussians and English that it became more like a camp than a city. The very first time that I could get away, I went with Rob Stewart of my company, for we were only allowed to go about in couples, to the Rue Miromenil. 
Rob waited in the hall, and I was shown upstairs, and as I put my foot over the mat, there was Cousin Edie, just the same as ever, staring at me with those wild eyes of hers. For a moment she did not recognize me, but when she did she just took three steps forward and sprang at me with her two arms round my neck. "'Oh, my dear old Jock!' she cried. "'How fine you look in a red coat!' "'Yes, I am a soldier now, Edie,' said I, very stiffly, for as I looked at her pretty face I seemed to see behind it that other face which had looked up to the morning sky on the Belgium battlefield. "'Fancy that!' she cried. "'What are you then, Jock? A general? A captain?' "'No, I am a private.' "'What? Not one of the common people who carry guns?' "'Yes, I carry a gun.' "'Oh, that is not nearly so interesting,' said she. "'And she went back to the sofa from which she had risen. "'It was a wonderful room, all silk and velvet and shiny things, "'and I felt inclined to go back to give my boots another rub. "'As Edie sat down again, I saw that she was all in black, "'and so I knew that she had heard of de Lissac's death. "'I am glad to see that you know all,' said I, "'for I am a clumsy hand at breaking things. "'He said that you were to keep whatever was in the boxes, "'and that Antoine had the keys. "'Thank you, Jock, thank you,' said she. "'It was like your kindness to bring the message. "'I heard of it nearly a week ago. "'I was mad for the time, quite mad. "'I shall wear mourning all my days, "'although you can see what a fright it makes me look.' Ah, I shall never get over it. I shall take the veil and die in a convent. If you please, madame, said a maid, looking in, the Count de Beton wishes to see you. My dear Jock, said Edie, jumping up, this is very important. I am sorry to cut our chat short, but I am sure that you will come to see me again, will you not, when I am less desolate? And would you mind going out by the side door instead of the main one? Thank you, you dear old Jock. You were always such a good boy, and did exactly what you were told. And that was the last that I was ever to see of Cousin Edie. She stood in the sunlight with the old challenge in her eyes and flash of her teeth, and so I shall always remember her, shining and unstable, like a drop of quicksilver. As I joined my comrade in the street below, I saw a grand carriage and pair at the door, and I knew that she had asked me to slip out so that her grand new friends might never know what common people she had been associated with in her childhood. She had never asked for Jim, nor for my father and mother who had been so kind to her. Well, it was just her way, and she could no more help it than a rabbit can help wagging its scut, and yet it made me heavy-hearted to think of it. Two months later I heard that she had married this same Count de Beton, and she died in childbed a year or two later. And as for us, our work was done, for the great shadow had been cleared away from Europe, and should no longer be thrown across the breadth of the lands, over peaceful farms and little villages, darkening the lives which should have been so happy. I came back to Corrymuir after I had bought my discharge, and there, when my father died, I took over the sheep farm, and married Lucy Dean of Berwick, and have brought up seven children, who are all taller than their father, and take mighty good care that he shall not forget it. But in the quiet, peaceful days that pass now, each as like the other as so many Scotch tups, I can hardly get the young folks to believe that even here we have had our romance, when Jim and I went a-wooing, and the man with the cat's whiskers came up from the sea. 
End of chapter 15 End of the Great Shadow by Arthur Conan Doyle